Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast channel that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Featured in this episode, new insights on workplace design are architect and workplace researcher Dr. Augustin Chavez with Hassel and Ryan Froud, senior occupancy planner at JLL. Hello and welcome to the What's Next podcast from Cornet Global. Uh, we're here today to discuss what the future holds for the corporate real estate industry. Today my guest is Dr. Augustin Chavez, senior researcher at Hassel Studios, a leading architecture and design firm. Gus is an architect, lecturer, workplace strategist, and internationally recognized researcher, and also holds an adjunct research fellow at the Center for Design Innovation at Swinburne. Today he's here to talk about how workplace design can attract and retain talent within organizations. Welcome, Gus, and thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks for the invitation. Gus, in your recent TEDx talk, you talked about the basic need of togetherness and to work amongst others. Do you see this changing as more millennials enter the workforce, and what impacts are you seeing in workplace design that respond to this? Well, an easy question to start with. Um, that's actually a great question because it brings together what really work is and how uh, it might evolve into the future. So to start with the concept of togetherness, we must not forget that as humans, we're social creatures and work is a very social phenomenon. And as such, it benefits from interactions with others. For too long, the space has not been challenged in that regard. The space was the place where we used to have those type of interactions. We used to get together and read all these social cues that are required to do the activities that we needed to do. So in the history of humankind, if you think about it, just been very recently that that notion has been challenged mm-hmm. by other environments like digital ones. Yep. But the need to get those social cues are still very important. Not only that, but there are also studies that highlight the downsides in mental health for isolation. Mm-hmm. So it's important not to try to justify the need to be together just because of the economical benefits of collaboration. Mm-hmm. You know, collaboration can be an overused word. And some people have quantified the benefits of collaboration in $46 billion per year in Australia. Yeah. Which is great, and we should promote that, but not justified only because of that. Also think about the the importance of it. So we think about space. Then space has this ability to communicate the social interactions, to develop trust, which then goes into sharing knowledge. And then we can think about the attributes of space that can benefit or contribute in designing uh, workplaces. And then very quickly, we have, think about it, two ways of going about this. One is those messages that are socially and culturally constructed, which might start pointing out to the difference of millennials. So coming in here to your building, I was impressed by... uh, your lobby yes. is very grand in yeah. proportions. Uh, materials that uh, try to elicit some sort of response, mm-hmm. uh, communicate the values of the organization, and even try to give a feeling of how the user might feel. And with the workforce demographics changing as well, managerial practices, how a millennial manager manages staff in difference to a baby boomer or Gen Xer, I've certainly seen this across in government with managers managing through presenteeism because they're used to being able to see their people work there. But as we grow more flexible and digital, 
the management styles need to change. Absolutely. And then you open the conversation to the other idea that space doesn't work in isolation. Space works with, uh, if you want to call it uh, software, uh, if you think about uh, hardware, the computer and software, how it works. Management really is this um, direct relationship between space, people and technology. Mm. And so we need to think about everything that happens in in the workplace as a whole. So you cannot talk about just workplace without talking about management or expectations of those that. Yeah. Do you see like at the start of a design process there's representation across human resources, real estate and IT? Or is it more often than not uh, two out of three or maybe even just one sometimes? It's funny you mentioned that because we are just in the process of working with a client in which we usually follow that process that engage FMIT and HR. But this project has really brought it to the forefront and highlighted the importance of doing that. So going to your idea of using the workplace for attraction and retention, we just finished a, a fascinating study using a variety of methods, which we did in collaboration with Arup, especially the acoustic engineers, Optimize, which are social network analysis experts, and Lisman, which some of the audience might be familiar with in terms of how they measure the level of efficiency of the workplace. We did a data collection uh, using a longitudinal framework where we collected data one year apart. Mm. And what was fascinating about this exercise is that there was not design intervention in between. That is, uh, the concept of pre and post occupancy evaluations went out of the window because mm. we didn't change the fit out the company, the, the employees didn't go to a new building or we changed a desk or anything but the organization went through significant changes. Mm. And one of the things that we were able to measure is gender and their impact in the social network. Using social network mapping, we were able to see how re well represented were females in different aspects of the social network, like generation of ideas, review and approve, and socialize. And what we found is that overall, females were underrepresented. They were below their the split, the, the percentage that that they have in the organization to exchange ideas. Okay. The same happened for review and approve, but they were overrepresented and perhaps following some of the uh, stereotypes in uh, socializing. Mm. And but why this is important is that if you hire females and perhaps you increase the females that you bring into a business to try to balance uh, gender equality in mm. in organizations that perhaps have a specific bias towards specific gender. Um, Perhaps that's a short-term solution. What we're seeing is that if the females are not represented in the network, if they don't have the same voice mm. as their counterparts, perhaps they might leave the organization. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting you bring up voice. Um, certainly, I was listening to a, um, a HBR podcast, and they were talking about the way people speak in tone, how that can be ingrained to us, uh, not just depending on our gender, but depending on our generation as well. Starting all the way from a young age, females often find they're being too direct, then they get labelled bossy. But with male counterparts, it's seen as being assertive. It's really interesting. So would it be that it's not just purely the percentage of females you have in a workforce? It's just as equally important to have those support 
mechanisms help them succeed in the network? Absolutely. And then you bring again the importance of uh, creating an environment and a holistic environment of which space is important, but also you need to uh, take into consideration culture, support from IT, and a variety of aspects. Hassel did a, in 2014 a research with Empirica uh, to try to identify factors in attraction and retention and its relationship between space and technology and even salary. Mm. And as you will expect, uh, one of the highest ranking aspects in attracting people is salary. Yes. Still have a very important mm. role. But then culture and the workplace, the physical feed out, uh, actually the combination of both are higher than salary in itself. And there's different levels of priorities depending on which generation as well. And that may just be because of where each is in the journey throughout work. But certainly salary seems to more often than not be a lower priority for a millennial who's maybe just starting out their career. And those you know more tangible things in terms of workplace design and fit out that have more sense of equality because everyone can look and feel and use them. It's not related to a position stuff from Randstad that shows that sometimes salary doesn't seem to be the highest priority, but it certainly does carry throughout their uh, workplace journey. Absolutely. So we need to take that into consideration when designing organizations as a whole and what type of services we can provide and values and make sure that they are reflected in every aspect of the organization. So uh, in a recent research project, you're measuring uh, workplace and employee sort of satisfaction. Did you see any major spikes relating to any particular activity? I know you mentioned that they went through quite a large bit of uh, change throughout that year. Was there anything that was, I suppose, unexpected in that? Well, what was unexpected about that research is that we're calling it what changes when nothing changes because what was unique about it is that we collect data a year apart and there was no design intervention at all. So Mm. we didn't change the building, the feed out. People were working in the same space but Mm. the organization went through significant organizational structures. They have new CEOs. They move from different organizational structures. So pretty much everything else changed except the design. So that gave us a unique perspective to understand the rate of change of an organization and how much of those changes can be then attributed to space. Mm. One of the key parameters that people like to monitor is productivity. And we want to find the magic bullet of how to design uh, in such a way that we can increase productivity. So one of the questions that we got from Lisbon is a question said, to which extent do you believe that your workplace enables you to work uh, more productively? And what was interesting was that even though it's a self-reported measure of productivity, we had a 14% increase in this of agreement in this question without changing at all the physical space. So we will have been very happy if we have done a design intervention and then we Mm. perhaps will be able to claim that 14%. But Mm. the fact that it happened without us changing anything, it's quite interesting. And so now the question is why? How, How do we make sense out of it? So if you think about work as a concept, then you can think about how we use different wrappers or containers, how we can contain the construct of work and uh, contain it in space solutions, in IT solutions, uh, in management, uh, and so on. And if you change one of those, obviously you will change the outputs. So this organization went through significant uh, organizational structures. So what we're thinking uh, is that perhaps the new organizational structure has is really working for them. It's allowing them to uh, be more productive. Well, it's certainly important because when you do have a large consolidation 
which buys a new fit out and new build, usually there's all those organizational changes happening within the workplace at the same time. And the vision is that they move into their new office and then you have that spike in satisfaction. Certainly understanding the interventions for when satisfaction is not going so well could probably increase that satisfaction even more. Absolutely. But one of the things that we're considering is trying to revisit the idea of post and pre-occupancy. Trying to remove the notion that the design intervention is what creates this massive change. And of course, it will change the workplace. The physical environment has that ability to do that. But organizations go through a variety of changes throughout their lifespan that if we only collect data at those points in time, we might be getting false negatives or false positives and all the combinations of outputs Mm. of which is the driving uh, variable that we're measuring. So what we're trying to do is measuring the performance of the organizations throughout their life cycle. Uh, We have this thing called RAW, Responsive Agile Workplace. And what we're trying to do is to collect data every six months. And perhaps for the untrained eye, it might look like a post-occupancy evaluation, where the only difference is that we're not using just triggers of changes in design, mm-hmm. but to measure the rate at which the organization works. And at some stages, some of those drivers will come through design interventions. But we will also uh, be monitoring changes in demographics, leadership styles, management, and so on. And in, in that work, are you able to put like a dollar value on that productivity increase can mean financially? Well, it's a very difficult question. Yes. And, and I think you're talking uh, about value and cost, mm. which sometimes is very different. So it's, it's easier to, to quantify the cost. Uh, it's much more different to quantify the value, which mm. is that extra premium beyond what it actually cost you. And what we're developing is a model of KPIs uh, that we can actually measure throughout these instruments that we're developing. So we're creating this uh, triangulation of that. So for example, a research that we're doing with Arup and the acoustic team is a framework called the Sound of Collaboration. Okay. So these guys, they bring their, their toys, which is a very sophisticated mm. piece of equipment, and uh, they measure the level of noise mm. that happens in the floor plan. And then we correlate that with social network mapping. Try to see if there's a correlation between activity in the network and increasing noise levels. And then we can compare that with also with Lisman satisfaction in noise yep. perception. So this gives us this richness to compare data from different sources. And as you know, uh, noise can be a factor that people kind of complain about or it's an issue in open plan. Usually it's the first issue why flexible working doesn't work because they say that they're so often distracted. And But I mean, even on the flip side, Personally, I found I could work amazingly well in a cafe with ambient noise when I was at uni, but it's not the same when you're in the work environment. Absolutely. So what we're trying to do is try to use noise as a proxy of knowledge transfer, because what we're doing right now is hopefully transferring some information and knowledge and so on. But a byproduct of that is the noise that we produce by our speech. So if we translate that and multiply that by the people occupying an open plan, uh, there could be an argument that the noisier it is, the more information is being communicated. Now, mm-hmm. we understand that there are also silent modes of exchanging information, but these instruments give us the ability to slice data by noise-producing methods and non-producing methods. And another way of interpreting this is the cost of silence. Is Having a very quiet organization comes at a cost of not having that sense of interaction. And what we're identifying, we're at very early stages, but we do identify that in this organization where we're working with, each floor 
have different uh, noise levels and it has different character when you mm. just get out of the lift. And it's associated to the type of work that they do, the attributes of the space, and also the culture of what is acceptable or not in terms of how people interact. So it's like going to a food court mm. that the noise levels are very high or going to a five-star restaurant that uh, people behave a little bit differently and mm. also communicate with each other, but at different tones. So that is the framework that we're working on. But what's fascinating is what you mentioned as well. Perhaps it's not a race or the objective should not be to try to create environments that are quiet, but environments that have a higher level of bass noise, mm. like coffee shops. Yeah. So one of the ideas we're entertaining is what if, if it's too quiet, we feed noises of coffee shops to try to bring in undistinguishable noises that you're not distracted by the conversations or yep. specific noises happening, but these mm -hmm. increasing noise levels that will absorb the other noises that could uh, be distracting. Yeah, it would certainly be a good opportunity. I know that modern buildings, their air conditioning systems are so quiet that sometimes they already have white noise speakers produce very low levels of static, so it doesn't feel too quiet but also like you mentioned the need for silence sometimes just through some recent office tours I've been they've actually purpose-built library spaces now they're still communal in that you'll be sitting next to other people but the behavior is that you won't talk you won't take phone calls and this is being built around uh, flexible working spaces as well. and the design is adapting to as each company goes on their journey of flexible working but before we finish up co-working in particular is experiencing exceptional growth across many regions is this something larger organizations can embrace, particularly with millennials entering the workforce? Uh, in fact, that's going to be one of the topics we'll be talking about in the Cornet Summit in Singapore. But the way we have approached that research that we're going to present in Singapore is studying first organizational growth and recognizing that as an organization grows, there's a very tangible parameter in terms of headcount, which we can immediately translate into the amount of space that we need. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, that has been the driving parameter informing space requirements. Yep. But our research is more interested in the qualitative side of work. And what we believe is that space not only has to be bigger, but it has to be different to support the organization as they grow. And so what we're seeing is that co-working has departed to some extent from its original founding principles and has become more like a real estate solution, which the clients have been enticed by the flexibility of how they can rent space, by the beautiful feed-outs mm. and free beer on tap. The subscription cost model as well. Exactly so. right. But perhaps uh, some of those organizations overstay their welcome there mm. beyond the maturity level that they have, but because they don't have something in between that space and something else because at one end you have co-working which is very well resolved right now and at the other end you have uh, sophisticated tenants that they have HR, IT, legal departments and so on that they can navigate through all the difficulties of getting your space. Mm. And in the middle we have this that we call in filling the void. That's our research we're working with Pepper at the moment. What happens in between a very successful co-working organization that add grows not in number but in culture mm. a working environment and needs to find a new space to host our organization. Thanks, Gus. Uh, if you liked what you heard today, Gus will be speaking at the Singapore Cornet Summit in March, and he'll be discussing that co-working study you just mentioned then. You can also find more of his recent talks and publications online. Gus, again, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. This concludes this episode of Cornet Global's podcast on new insights on workplace design. 
have an idea or point of view you'd like to share, want to record a What's Next podcast of your own, visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.